Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Success Harbor Podcast with George Mazaros, where it's all about making success happen for you. Hi, everyone. This is George Mazaros with Success Harbor, and I have Susan Baroncini Mo with me. Susan is the author of the book Business in Blue Jeans. She holds the Guinness World Records title for the world's longest uninterrupted live webcast. In case you were wondering, the webcast was 36 hours and 23 seconds long. Susan has um, started successful businesses in both the for-profit and non-profit sectors. And I'm sure I left some things out, but uh, welcome, Suzanne. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Uh, tell me, uh, you know, first, how did you come up with the idea to start or, or actually try for the longest uninterrupted podcast? <laughs> well, um, I, I was turning 40 and I wanted to do something kind of momentous for that. Um, I tend to do big things on uh, monumental birthdays. So I, I thought that was something I'd want to do. Um, and when I was thinking about what the big thing should be, I really thought I wanted to do something that wasn't just important to me, but would also be important for my business and would help a lot of people. So basically what I ended up doing was finding a record I could do and then realizing I, even though I probably as you can probably tell, I could talk for 36 hours if I wanted to. I really didn't have to. So what we did is we turned it into this big business and marketing extravaganza with best-selling authors and celebrities. And we made it a really big, fun event that people could really learn from. Okay. And how long did it take for you to plan that? And did <laughs> people think it was a crazy idea or people thought, yeah, this sounds like fun. I want to be part of it. Well, you know, it's funny. It, uh, I decided... Uh, kind of quickly that I was going to do it. Uh, and so I planned and executed the event inside of 55 days. And we had, you know, 33 speakers and, uh, you know, a bunch of sponsors who, who made the event possible. We had to coordinate, you know, full AV because it was a webcast. But the Guinness rules require that you have your record-breaking attempt in a public place where people can come and witness it. So trying to negotiate that was a challenge. And, and then, of course, we had you know to have witnesses and all kinds of things. So it was a really big project. But when I put my mind to something, I do it. Now, in terms of whether people thought it was crazy or not, uh, yeah, um, I didn't tell a lot of people about it early on. Uh, and I talk about this in my book, Business in Blue Jeans, mainly because I knew a lot of the normal people in my life would think it was nuts. I told my husband and my husband is a, a recording artist from Uruguay and has had platinum albums and the first platinum albums in his country, actually. So I knew he wouldn't think I was crazy because he's done pretty big things in his life, too. And he didn't. He was really supportive. Uh, but the rest of the people in my life who aren't entrepreneurs and don't kind of have the crazy gene that we want to go out and do big things, they definitely would not have really understood it. So I kind of kept it quiet. But when I reached out to sponsors and, and participants that I wanted to invite, everybody was very receptive and excited and, and everybody wanted to participate. And they just thought it was the coolest idea they'd ever heard. So when you say it had to be in a public place, but the challenge with that is not many public places are open 36 <laughs> hours. Yeah. So was it like a, a hospital, or no, an emergency no. room, or a, a hotel lobby? <laughs> what was the location? Yeah, so that's a really good point because, you know, there were, you know, a lot of logistical challenges like that, you know. It's not just hey, we need it to be available for 36 hours. And we, we didn't know, we, you know, we were going to go for 36 and, and we knew we'd break the record at 24. But I figured if I'm going to break it, let's really break it, right? So, um, you know, 
we did go to a hotel and we had to find the right hotel because you're talking about event, an event where you have to be open to the public and you don't know how many people are going to show up. So that's a real trick for the hotel to agree to that and to agree, yeah, sure, you can have an, an unknown and unspecified number of people come to your event uh, that is available 24 hours a day. You know, like it, it was a little tricky, but we did find a great hotel partner and, you know, we were able to negotiate exactly what we needed. So, yeah, it, it's it's tricky. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's uh, definitely uh, something that will help you stand out. So I think it's a great idea. And, uh, you know, I wish everybody would come up with something like that. I think everybody kind of wishes they would come up with something like that for their own business because it's uh, definitely I, – I love the idea. I teach um, a class on it, you know. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. There's, a, there's a, actually a, a, a web-based class on my website that people can take to learn how to do something big like that. You know, it's, it's you know, big ideas, fast traction. It's all about how to do something like that. Okay. Okay. Um can you tell our audience about your business background? Uh, what types of businesses have you started? Uh, I read that your first uh, entrepreneurial venture was a grape Kool-Aid stand in the front lawn because everyone was doing lemonade. So, you know, again, that was something to differentiate yourself. And that was when you were six. So I'm sure that you started some other ventures uh, since then. So I don't know if you can uh, maybe cover uh, some of them that kind of stand out? Yeah, um, I have done a lot of things, some successful, some not. Uh, I, in graduate school, I had uh, my first online business actually was, um, my first, very first online business was, was I was selling, I, I, I'm very into like doing a different craft or hobby at every given moment in my life. So I never stick with one thing. I just kind of learn it, experience it, and then I move on and try something else. And I think that keeps my brain fresh and helps me continuously be creative. So um, I did I, I did this one thing. It's called Lampwork Glass Bead Making. And you actually have a flame and you use glass and you make beads. And so I had a, a little online business selling the beads that I made because, you know, you can only keep so many. At some point, you've got too many beads. What are you going to do? Um, mm-hmm. But my second online business was a, um, a, a nonprofit business where we – solicited donations of knitted hats and then we solicit you know we would make make those hats available basically just for the price of shipping them out and then uh we would send those hats to women who had lost their hair due to breast cancer uh treatment and that was really close to my heart because my mom had breast cancer and had experienced that hair loss and you know it was in the winter and her head was cold and so I knitted her a hat and that was kind of the beginning of you know understanding that Sometimes you feel really powerless in a situation like that, and you want to be able to help. And, and you can't do much for, for someone who is contending with cancer, but you can provide comfort and love. And so we would give people the opportunity to fill out an online form, and uh, they, could, they could basically write a note to the person encouraging them and supporting them. We would send that with the hat and also a little first aid kit because, you know, there was a, there's a need for that. When women have the test done, they take out a lymph node. It makes their arms susceptible to infection. So we had these little first aid kits made up that, that women could put in their purses, and then we'd send out the hats. And it was very successful, very good venture. Um, eventually, it was a, a project that I was unable to continue to maintain so I, I turned the operations of that over to the American Cancer Society and, and moved on. 
but it was a really good um so good business. why were you not able to uh fo- you know continue with that was it uh, not the kind of business you wanted to be in or too time consuming or change of interest yeah first and foremost it it was extremely time consuming and uh it it was it was very much something that was close to my heart, but at the same time as doing that, I was also launching my first coaching business. And so trying to do both as my coaching business took off was extraordinarily difficult. Uh, it, it, you know, when you have, you know, massive quantities of, of a product coming in and you live in, at the time I lived in a very small condo in Iowa and I didn't have the room, I didn't have the infrastructure. It grew quite a bit more quickly than I expected because we uh, received a lot of press and um, because it was a, one of the first times that a nonprofit was using the internet in that way. And so we got a lot of press and it, it grew too quickly. So that's a, you know, a really good lesson that I learned early in my coaching career was, you know, you have to balance and make choices, but also you have to be prepared for growth because if you're not prepared, it, it can cause some really big problems. So, so after the nonprofit, you started your first coaching business. What what year was that? And tell oh us a gosh. little bit about that. That's a good question. Uh, nineteen. Uh, 1999, I want to say, I think. Okay. I, I, I can't I can't remember when I first started. So um, so the third business was then uh, the coaching business. So how did you get into coaching? Um, I actually I I put myself through. I I have a master's degree in social psychology. So so psychology and the way people interact and the way people are you know the dynamics of people in groups are are very you know something that really interests me. And while I was in graduate school, I took a job in a um, technology center, and it was the most advanced technology center on campus at the time. And um, I sort of bluffed my way into that job and then had to learn all the skills I needed to keep the job. And um, I ended up learning so much that I taught web design and development at the University of Iowa. And so then I was recruited out of the university, which had kept me on after I got my degree to, to kind of uh, help faculty and staff with their, their web presence. I got recruited to um, work with magazine publishers to help them take their printed content and put it online for sale. And what happened with that is a couple of years into that, I, I started to get this tingling in my arms and I started to have numbness in my hands and I found out I had carpal tunnel. And so the doctor basically said, you can quit and, and, and go have another career or you can have surgery and continue this career, but you'll probably have to have surgery multiple times or you'll, you'll never really recover. Well, I'm not a big fan of surgery and I put my health above pretty much everything else. So I left that job and decided to go back to my social psychology roots and I spent uh, six weeks in the mountains of Colorado uh, doing a whole lot of training and um, then spent a whole lot more time doing training. I trained with Nightingale Conan, and I, I went through a wellness coaching training and a whole bunch of other things and launched my career. Okay. So that was about 99, uh, like you said. And uh, how did you get your first clients uh, back then? Well, back then it was really just a matter of telling everyone I knew. And so my first clients really were, were friends and people who I already knew. 
Um, because that's always the first thing you should do when you start a business, right? Is tell everyone that you know that you're starting a business and what you're doing. But the, the, um, the other thing is back in those days, like people didn't really have websites, right? It was really unusual. So if you had a website, it was pretty easy to be found, right? If you knew what to do. So that was one thing that really gave me a, a real leg up was that I had a website and I could be found and, and a lot of entrepreneurs would want to work with me because, I knew how to do that stuff already. And so it became a process of transitioning from being an exclusively a coach to being a coach and a consultant. Okay. And how do you differentiate yourself? Because, I mean, I don't know if it was like back in 1999, but today it seems like, you know, everywhere you go, there are at least some real estate agents and some coaches. So, <laughs> so it's a very, very competitive. And competition is good in a way, right? Because that means there is money there. There is money to be made. Uh, there's a market for it. But, you know, how do you, how do you differentiate yourself, uh, you know, when a market is so saturated and the barrier to entry is virtually none? Yeah. It's funny, I, I just finished a blog post about this that's coming out on Monday. It's basically about how coaches rip people off. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because here's the thing, back in the day, you know, when I first started being a coach, just as there were, were not very many people online, there weren't very many people who were coaches. So those of us who were coaches tended to work with people who were really successful because that's where coaching really started, was with executives and successful people who knew they did something right to get where they were but knew that those weren't necessarily the things that would take them to the next level. So there were a lot of people who were very successful who had coaches, and then that began to trickle down as coaches got into the media on Dr. Phil and on Oprah and all those other shows. And, and what ended up happening was that the, the coaching industry, because of its low barrier to entry, got flooded with pretty much anyone who had ever watched Dr. Phil or Oprah and thought that they were really good at giving advice to their best friends. So you have a lot of people in the coaching industry who have no training. In fact, a lot of people who are very successful because they're good at marketing themselves but have no experience in business or actually coaching and really don't do a good job with their clients. And to me, that's the best measure is are your clients happy and are they better for having worked with you? So that's kind of the first thing that distinguishes me is that I do have training, I do have experience, and I have experience in business. And I'm not afraid for people to ask me the tough questions. So if someone says, well, you know, what do you know that I don't know or what sets you apart? You know, I can talk about my experience in the web industry, the fact that I don't tell, you know, I don't say to somebody, I'm a sales coach. I don't say I'm a real estate coach. I don't say I'm a specialist because I am very general in my knowledge. I do have an, a, a kind of a larger area of digital marketing because that's where most of my expertise lies, right? Because I've been in the web industry for so long. But at the same time, I think that, that it's, it's both skill and something that can be trained, but it's also innate. It's a talent. It's, you know, the way that I grew up, you know, I learned how to understand people and pay attention to subtle cues. And, and I think that those things really matter. So, you know, the way I differentiate myself is I do business in a, in a very ethical way with a lot of integrity. I'm honest about my expertise and my experience. And, and I really work very hard to go above and beyond for my clients so that they're extraordinarily happy and that, that they end up being more successful because they worked with me. So, so you uh, started that coaching business in 99 and you said it was your first coaching business. What did you do? Uh, did you stop that uh, coaching business or what, what happened to it? No, it just transitioned into a, a different 
different brand that was more uh, corporate in nature and, and really focused more on consulting. And, and then that brand evolved into business in blue jeans, which is very much a hybrid uh, or a fusion of coaching and consulting. Okay. So mostly do you work with businesses or individuals? I work with both. Um, and, I, and I work hard so that I can work with both. Um, primarily because I think that um, my heart lies with working with individuals who are entrepreneurial in nature uh, and who want to start businesses or have started businesses and want to grow them. But the work I do with businesses and corporations make that work possible, if that makes sense, from a financial perspective. Okay. Um, can you give us an idea? I mean, uh, the size of your business, um, how many customers you have, and, you know, uh, can you share the revenue of your uh, business in Blue Jeans? <laughs> no, I never share that. That's private. <laughs> no, all of those numbers are private. Okay, and about the kinds of businesses that you work with? Yeah, I mean, I, I primarily work with service-oriented businesses. So I have clients who are in the wellness space. Um, I have clients in HR. I have clients that are in you know, B2B service businesses, and that's kind of the bulk of my business. But then I have individual clients who are doing really interesting things. Um, I work with a greeting card manufacturer. I work with a couple of bloggers. Uh, I work with a, a massage therapist here in Indianapolis, and, and I have a client also here in Indianapolis who just launched a company that is designed to build connections and, and community among Indianapolis area families. So it's a very broad range, and, and that keeps things really interesting for me. Okay, and these clients uh, come to you uh, through what method? How do you market yourself? I have a variety of marketing strategies. Uh, I certainly make use of social media and, um, you know, I, I'm not on every single platform, but I have certain platforms that I use for different reasons and in different ways. Um, I do a fair amount of speaking and a lot of guest blog posts. I do podcasts like this one, uh, but, but there's no real um, one way that I would say this is how I get clients. It's really more a matter of, gaining visibility in a large variety of ways such that when someone has read something I've written or heard me speak or heard me on an interview or they've read my book, uh, they, they then, when they're ready for me, they think of me. So how do you know which one is effective? Uh, do, you, do you measure you know, how effective one or the other is uh, in terms of speaking and you know, social media? Like, how do you know what works? Well, you always ask. You have to measure. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, you know, and, and I am now at the point where I don't do a lot of the things that don't work for me. So um, I know speaking is very good for me. I almost always gain clients when I speak. Uh, I know the book has been very good for me. Um, and, and LinkedIn has been good for me. Um, but more than anything else, the thing that is the best for me, and that this doesn't mean that this is the thing that is best for everyone. This is what works for my personal business. Now, again, you have to know your target market. And you have to know how they operate. But the thing that's most profitable for me is simple relationship building. It's bottom line having conversations with people who know people, making sure that I'm connected to influencers and people who have relationships with other people who do business because they're going to be the ones who are going to be in the conversations when someone says, you know, I just – I'm thinking about hiring a coach. And that's the person who's going to say, hey, you know who I know? Susan Barancini Mo. You should call her. 
So can you give our audience an example of how you reach out to an influencer, uh, maybe something that uh, somebody else in the audience could replicate for their own business? Well, I think it depends on the business. So, so it's a, always a little dangerous, in my opinion, to say, like, free advice is worth what you pay for it, right? So it's always a little dangerous to say, this is an example you can replicate and get the same results I got, because you won't do it the same way that I do it. And, no, not you know, to. I don't you, want to replicate, no, no. but uh, just to hear, you know, this is how I, I reached out to so-and-so. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not saying that we're going to go and, and copy that because that I don't believe in that either. But just, you know, just to get get the thought process and, and, you know, why you did what, basically. Yeah. So sometimes it's a matter of, you know, tweeting somebody and saying, hey, I really liked, you know, what you did with this. Or sometimes it's a matter of like, for example, there's a um, I had a relationship of friendship with someone who was a, a working for a company and we had lunch one day. And he was telling me about an event that his company was putting on. And I said, oh, you know, you should think about marketing it this way. Well, that conversation, just the conversation of uh, two friends talking evolved into the company hiring me to help them market it in the way I had suggested. Um, another thing I do sometimes is just I'll find people on LinkedIn and I'll send them a message and say, hey, I'd love to talk to you. It looks like you have an interesting business. Can we schedule a phone call? I mean, sometimes it's as simple as just saying, you look like an interesting human being. I build relationships. I get to know people. Would you like to talk? It's sometimes okay. that simple. So, so you, you work with uh, quite a few businesses, as you mentioned earlier. And I'm very interested in the, in the life of, of a business, especially in the first one to two years, because most businesses fail during those times. So what do you think is, is the most important thing for an entrepreneur to focus on during the first one year of being in business? Yeah, that's a really good question because you're right. Most businesses fail early. <laughs> um, so with my clients, the things that we focus on early are, are relationship building, connecting with everyone you know. When you're starting out, you know, you want to make sure everyone that you know and that knows you knows what you're doing, knows that you're building a business. Now, there are times that, you know, I, I think that, that networking serves a purpose for some businesses, but more often than not, networking groups are um, not particularly beneficial because they're either structured the wrong way or people approach them the wrong way. And what I mean by that is they approach it with the, the mentality of getting business rather than, you know, coming to with an, an air of, what value can I bring to the table for this group? So I spend a lot of my time thinking about the people I know and my vast network that maybe I could connect. So if you're a connector, people think of you and remember you. Or if you, um, you know, if you bring a lot of value to the table for people, they want to bring value back to you. It's not be that's not why you do it, but it's a good way to show up in the world, and it tends to be pretty profitable, as, as my friend Bob Burry likes to say. So I think that um, one of the things that you really want to focus on is relationship building, not necessarily for the purpose of growing your business, but that is going to be the result. Okay. So, again, very early in business or the first couple of years, what do you think is the biggest time waster? Because, uh, you know, a lot of times people start just a solopreneur, you know, one person in the business, maybe two, you know, partners. So you really have to be careful with, with your time. What do you think, based on, you know, your experience working with entrepreneurs or just being an entrepreneur yourself, is the biggest time waster? The biggest time waster, 
gosh, there are so many. <laughs> um, and and I, I think it's, it's a good question. Um, one is probably social media. Um, I do think it really is, is dependent on the business. Like, what is your business and what are you spending your time doing? You know, that's, you know, it's important. I, I recommend everybody kind of every um, every month or so keeps a couple of days where they keep a time log to see where they're losing time so that they can start to address it. But social media is a big one, especially if you don't have much of a following or your target market isn't where you're hanging out. So if you're not connecting with your target market in social media, it's a waste of time anyway. Um, the other area I think people waste a lot of time is going to these like business card exchanging, handshaking, networking meetings where they don't actually get any business. And I think that, you know, these, these networking meetings, one thing I've experienced is people are always saying, let's go have coffee. I'd love to have coffee with you sometime. Yeah, that's great. But how do you have time for coffee? I'm working. I'm, I'm writing. I'm connecting. I'm doing business most of the time. So I always try to turn those let's have coffee dates into, no, let's actually have a phone call. And in the instances where it turns into, okay, this could actually be a useful relationship that could ultimately yield business, then okay, we'll go for coffee if there's a reason to. But for the most part, I like to initiate my relationships with a phone call because it's a huge time saver. And, and most of those people who are out having coffee, they feel like they're busy and they feel like they're productive, but, but being productive and being busy are two different things. Okay. So let's say somebody comes to you either, uh, you know, it could be a prospect or a client or a friend or a family member that currently has a job but wants to become an entrepreneur. What do you think is the one thing or the first thing that they need to really know or learn to set them up for success or at least help them succeed? Well, I think the first thing is you should not quit your job to start a business. That's the one mistake people make is uh, it, it's one thing if you lose your job and then you go, well, I think I'm going to go out on my own. It, it, but, but to quit a job and then go tomorrow, I'm going to start a business. That's usually a big mistake because you have to have the, the money saved up to live on. Otherwise, you're going to make a lot of decisions based out of want and fear. And that's always the wrong place to make decisions from in your business. So you don't want to make decisions from that space. So, so I, I always caution people to make sure they have a lot more than they think they're going to need saved up that they can live on while they're, they're growing their business. But if you can start your business and keep your job and start your business in your spare time, then, and I have clients who are doing that, then, then it makes more sense and is quite a bit more, uh, more safe to do so. Um, but the things you need to know really are, is there a market for what you want to do? That doesn't guarantee that you'll be successful, but is there a market? Who, do you, who are you going to do stuff for and what are you going to do for them? And are they going to be willing to pay for it? And, and if that's the case, uh, if, if those, the answers to those things are, yes, there are people and, and yes, they're going to want what I have to offer and yes, they're going to pay for it, then you at least have a shot. That does not mean you're going to be successful, but at least you have a shot. Okay. So you help people uh, as a coach or as a consultant. What was the best advice that you have received uh, in business? The best advice I ever received in business came from a guy named Larry Wingett. And he's a well-known, best-selling author. He's on Fox News all the time. Um, and he said to me, always do what you say you're going to do, when you say you're going to do it, the way you say you're going to do it. And I sort of amended that to say, or sooner and better. <laughs> because if you always keep your word and you do the things you promise people you're going to do, 
and you do them either when you say you're going to do them or sooner, and the way you promise to do them or better, you almost can't fail because people will start to trust you. They will know that they can rely upon you. You know, I mean, I'm sure you, I mean, I don't, I can't say for sure, but as a, as a, um, a host of a podcast myself, I know there are times there, you know, before there used to be times when, you know, people would say, sure, I'll show up for your podcast, but they wouldn't show up. Well, what does that tell you about that person and their integrity? So you maintain integrity by doing what you say you're going to do when you say you're going to do it, the way you say you're going to do it or sooner or better. And you almost can't fail with that as your, your foundation. Okay. Now, you know, everybody has ups and downs, and I think entrepreneurs have more than <laughs> the usual, <laughs> at least in my experience. So it's very important to deal with it, right? Because you, you yeah. can't really eliminate it. So what is your advice for dealing with the roller coaster ride of being an entrepreneur? Yeah, it is a roller coaster. And um, it's also one that I'm very happy that we're talking about now because there was a long time when we didn't talk about that and you were supposed to just be, you know, master of your fear. But now people are talking about the fact that it is scary to be an entrepreneur because there are ups and downs. But of course, the, the ways in which you manage it, uh, you, you manage in two ways. In one way, you manage it in a business strategy, right? So when times are tough, you don't pull back on marketing, not ever. That's a terrible mistake. And a lot of businesses did that in the recession. They pulled back on their marketing when they need a business. That's so stupid. How do you think you get business? Marketing. <laughs> so, you know, you never pull back on marketing when times are tough, if you can avoid it. Um, the other thing is you, you build in risk management strategies. So just because you've got a proposal out doesn't mean you're not trying to get more, more business coming down the pipeline. So you should never rest back because you think things are okay. So if, I'm, if my client load is full, I don't sit back on my, in my chair and go, well, I'm good. Because at any moment, any one of my clients could, for a variety of reasons, give me their 30-day notice. So I have to be prepared and keep that business coming in at all times. That means you never let up. It can be exhausting. But, you know, that's why you build in balance. You have, you know, I have a time every day that I have a commitment to my husband that I quit and the computer gets closed and we're done for the day. So you balance the fact that you really never let up and, and your great productivity with, you know, trying to make sure you take care of your mental health. That's the other side of it is you have to protect your mental health. And, and that's by, you know, you want to make sure you deal with your, your money brain junk in particular. That can get really dicey. And it can hold you back like you wouldn't even believe. Your personal brain junk is hugely important because that's the thing that will keep you believing in yourself. And it's really not about conquering fear as it is about mastering your own mind. And there are some really basic things about, about sort of mastering the anxiety stuff. And something as simple as exercise, which sounds like such a silly thing to say in, in the context of business, but exercise has been shown medically to be as effective as an anti-anxiety pill or an antidepressant. So if you continuously keep yourself active and getting out in the sun and, you know, keeping into your community and making sure that you're eating healthy, you can do a lot to mitigate some of the anxiety around being an entrepreneur. It might sound crazy, but it's absolutely true. So I have read about you that uh, I, I think it was on, on one of your websites uh, because of how you have structured your business. You have traveled a lot and tried a lot of different hobbies, <laughs> So, which is great, right? Everybody wants to travel. If you ask people what do you want to do more of, it's almost always travel. Sure. So, and, and it is because of the way you structured your business. So 
how have you done that, and what advice do you have for us to be able to structure our own businesses to be able to take more time off or just, just do more business while on the go? Yeah, so one of the ways that I've done that is I keep all of my client records in a CRM. So all my notes and all my uh, information for all my contacts, my prospects, my pipeline, everything is in a digital CRM in the cloud. So what do you use, by the way? What, what, which CRM are I'm you so using? I'm so cheap, I use Zoho. <laughs> okay, that's good. It. It's, good. It's actually, Zoho is a perfect solution for a variety of reasons. Um, and I use both Zoho CRM and Zoho Invoice. Um, I, I think they're great tools. They're very inexpensive and they're, they're robust and they're good for a solo entrepreneur. So, yeah, and, and you can add team members as needed, but I use that quite a bit. I also have an online calendar. I use Bookfresh for that. And so, uh, my, my, uh, assistant handles a lot through Google and, and we have a lot set up through, through Google Calendar and Gmail and all that. But the one thing that's really important to my business is that I do most of my work on the phone. So if I am visiting, like we just spent uh, half of, uh, well, more than half of April in Uruguay. And when I'm on vacation, I still, simply for the purpose of continuity and providing my clients with the support they need, I will cram all my clients into one or two days while I'm traveling. So having systems like Skype, um, I now can get T-Mobile does a worldwide service, so um, I can use T-Mobile when I'm in South America without being charged more. And and really, just having Wi-Fi wherever I go is a huge asset. So it's really about you know managing expectations, staying current with email, and just being able to to keep your your files so you don't have to lug around a bunch of paper. Well, Suzanne, thank you very much for uh, sharing uh, your story. How can people learn more about you or connect with you? businessinbluejeans.com. It's the easiest way. Okay. So everybody out there, go and uh, say hi to Suzanne at businessinbluejeans.com. Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for having me.